Welcome to episode 100 of the Swampflix podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And I am Brittany Lombas. 100 episodes of the Swampflix podcast. How did we do it? This feels very, like, accomplished. Like, I feel like an accomplished woman. Nobody stopped us. That was the, <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer. No right. one, like, shit no on one. us hard enough to make us stop. <laughs> right. <laughs> It wasn't for it wasn't for like um, encouragement. We haven't gotten a review on this website or on like any like <laughs> iTunes or anything for years ago. Mister Hot Dog Boy was the last uh, one. And who like, is he? Yeah. We're, we're, you know, I feel like we're gonna just keep doing it for Mister Hot Dog Boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's our number one fan. Out there for you. If you're out there still eating hot dogs, we <laughs> please, love you. Please write another review. <laughs> write another review. <laughs> so. Last episode, we celebrated our five-year anniversary as a website, our four-year anniversary as a podcast. This is 100 episodes. We're still celebrating. Mm. And today, we're going to talk about the greatest movies of all time. Yay. Do you think we can do it? I think (laughs) it's a possibility. Yeah. Have we had enough practice? (laughs) We don't really talk about a lot of good, like this caliber of movies. We don't really talk about, so this will be a whole new The top shelf, pinky up. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, very pretentious, cultured. right? Which, <laughs> yes, it's going to be an interesting conversation to say the least. I think I don't know how like well prepared we are for that because usually like there's room for differences of opinions. I don't know. Like watching that movies today, it was all like, yeah, that was really yeah, good. It, so it might just be a roundtable of agreements. Right, that was a good one. <laughs> yes, I think maybe maybe we'll find different things I we liked we about all those movies, mm. and then we'll talk about how good they are on so many levels, and it'll be very fun. Well, let's uh, ask a potentially um, controversial question up front. Oh God! Does anybody have a favorite episode of the show we've done so far that you want people to like go back and listen to, or one that you're particularly proud of? Anyway. Does it have to be proud of? I have a few. Oh, <laughs> I have a, f- a twist. I was going to say, I had a few thoughts okay. on this one. So, first of all, not necessarily proud of, but, you know, I think the first episode we did was top movies of, what year would that 2014? have been? 2014? 2014. Se- oh. Second episode was Evil Doll movies. <laughs> it was a shit show. I, and I kind of love that it kind of is the epitome of our early I would say our first like 20 episodes where we were still trying to figure it out. It was all over the place and it was chaotic, but I think it had this like energy. Mm-hmm. The fact that we would even attempt to talk about 20 <laughs> evil doll movies. There was no number on it. It was just every evil doll movie <laughs> we could think of. The but I love that. Just like, I don't know. I feel like that is symbolic of like Swamp Flakes and where we started from. A second honorable mention for me is a recent episode where me and Brandon got very heated about us. Um, I've always thought that that has been some of my favorite episodes where I get to yell at Brandon. He gets to yell mm. back at me. It's fun. And you were very reserved when we brought it back up for the best of the year. I, I just didn't want to go yeah. back into it. And then just a third, like one of my favorites is when we talked about some Christian evangelical films with, uh, mm. I think, The Shack and... Um, God's not dead. I enjoyed that one. I, I like ones where you have like a fun theme. So those would be three like honorable mentions for me. Not necessarily my favorite, but you know, I feel like they kind of symbolize what we do best. I think that's when we hit this new plateau. Like that was episode 81. And I think that's when we started like this new format we're doing now. And 
for me, it's been like the opposite of the evil doll-like mess. Like it feels like very focused now was the Christian evangelical stuff. I don't think it's my favorite episode we've done necessarily, but since then I think we've like hit like a new plateau. And I've I had agree. a couple favorites since then. Mm. But I want to ask y'all first, like what, what, what are y'all favorites? Uh, so I have two kind of favorites. Uh, one of them is uh, self-serving, and that was the Women in Captivity episode because it was the first episode that I ever did. I came along pretty late in the Swamp Flicks podcast lifetime, um, but I'd never done anything like it before. So I was terrified, but I also really loved the movies. Women in Captivity, it's a, I mean, it's an interesting theme. It's like related to my interests. So uh, I really enjoyed that episode. And then one of my favorite episodes to listen to was the actually the episode with you and Cece, uh, you and Brandon and Cece talking about Videodrome. And I think you talk about the tower, too, just because it got me. I had never seen Videodrome and your conversation really made me want to seek it out. And like two days later, I found it and I watched it. So, it, I mean, I think that episode did what the podcast is intended to do, which is get people interested in films and, you know, expand their horizons. So. A recommendation machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think James actually showed me that movie in college. It was the first time I ever saw it was at your apartment, too. So Yeah, that was one of those, like, all right, we're going to smoke a bowl and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see. What did we do for that Women in Captivity? I know we did... We did um, uh, Fault Lines. Is oh, that faults, the movie? Yeah. Faults, yeah. And then Boxing Helena mm-hmm. and Ex Machina. Yeah. So yes. I loved all of those movies. And I think my excitement for the movies kind of like overrided t- the terror of talking into a microphone. I think that's all of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially listening back to these and editing them. Like listening to your own voice for like hours yeah. is like horrible. What about you, Brittany? What are your favorite episodes we've done so far? Ultimate favorite, just because it is the episode that I had the most fun like watching movies for, had the most fun talking about. Um, it is episode 44, which came out November of 2017, and it is the Tim Capello Sexy Saxman episode. Which we have some big news to update what's going on with that episode. We do. Well, first of all, Tim Capello is known, best known as a sexy sax man in The Lost Boys. He's in the beginning of the movie for like not even a minute. And he's all like oiled up in baby oil by a fire with a saxophone. And he's singing, I still believe. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he was in four movies and we watched all of them. And I loved it so much because like each movie like was so like it, they were all in different genres like we had what's love got to do with it it's a pretty serious film brutal right? very brutal and then we had uh tap which was just a fun time <laughs> <laughs> and then we had um the lost boys which is classic vampire horror and then we had hearts of fire where we watched bob dylan trash a hotel room like a drunk rock star but he does it in slow motion because he's an old man but like he's on ambient <laughs> right at right the same time. <laughs> um, so it was it was just a lot of fun and he actually tim capello the sexy sax man himself listened to it and then wrote this comment that like i just i when i have a bad day i pull it up and i'll look at it it's so amazing and it's so nice um and he is coming into town at santos the santos bar to do a show where i'm assuming he's gonna just do i still believe like multiple times yeah. and i am ready for it <laughs> and it's on a weekday I really liked the movie Tap. It was not great, but like his part was so crazy. It was so yeah. That, I think he had the biggest role in that movie. What? 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I think like out of all four movies he had, not like the biggest role. Oh, in yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> no, it was <laughs> the main <main> star. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I think out of all the movies he played in, like he had more screen time and like you know he developed the special tap shoes. Yeah, he developed these like shoes that. He was trying to reinvent tap for the new wave generation, and he like invented these shoes that synthesized tap sounds. Like it was like these electric pickups mm-hmm. attached to these tap shoes, and it was the most bizarre like way to like possibly modernize it for kids to care about tap dance again. It's almost <laughs> embarrassing, but it's so nerdy. It's no, like it's adorable. Great. Yeah. And he like he called uh, tap shoes like let me go get the taps. The taps. Like the um, the <laughs> slang term for the, the street work term for tap shoes, and I loved it. So yeah, um, maybe we can dork out and try and find him yeah. after that show and just be like, hey, remember us? Dude, <laughs> we still believe. Us? <laughs> <laughs> you still believe in Swamp <laughs> Also funny, that movie came back up last year because um, in Us, they're like filming a movie on the wharf at the beginning where she goes in the Hall of Mirrors and it's the scene from uh, Lost Boys that they're filming. Oh, okay, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, they're filming some crazy movie across the bay and it's, it's the I Still Believe sequence. Yes, uh, yes. So he's still in the zeitgeist. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what is your um, favorite episode, Brandon? Well, since we found our new calling in the uh, like evangelical plateau we've been on uh, since episode 81, I have a couple favorites. One is one me and Brittany did together where we, we talked about new metal movies. We watched Queen of the Damned and then talked about new metal vampire movies from like the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh-huh. And just pulling clips from like old corn songs and like Linkin Park and uh, just... Really like corny pop metal. <laughs> corny I, with a K. Co- corny with a K, of course. <laughs> pop metal that I like yeah. loved in high school when I was like still like 15 years old was really eye opening in the fact that like I feel like I'm getting nostalgic about that stuff now. Like I'm getting to the age where I no longer cringe over it's like good music. I just think it's not cool to like it now that we're older, but who gives a shit? I think what I got caught up on was like. It's good music. I started listening to other metal, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that 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 corn right. stuff. That's not actual metal. That's trash." But it it's, it opened the gate for us. It's to pop get music, into more and stuff. it's really catchy, and it's good. Corn made us who we are today. I could have never gotten into some of the more underground extreme metal if it wasn't for that gateway. Mm, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think that's what it was for a lot of kids. Like a lot of people, like myself, I listen to it for like nostalgia sometimes, but I appreciate it because. I wouldn't have the musical taste I do today if it, that yes. wasn't the introduction. Because yes. it would just combine like the hip hop and the rhythmic, like down tuned guitars and like metal style it's vocals. Drug. It's a good mm-hmm. gateway drug. Mm-hmm. I mean, Corn was like my first three concerts. <laughs> and, and it can be your fourth, shit. Brandon. Just and, keep your eye out there. <laughs> and because they included um, Ice Cube on the Family Values tour, is like why I found NWA. Yeah. That's why I started listening to like hip hop, really, like mm-hmm. as early as I did. So I don't know. I owe them a lot. And new metal impacted vampire films, apparently. Right, apparently. Majorly. And that was really and fun we... to like open that casket and like let all those ghosts come out. <laughs> yeah. It felt very therapeutic. <laughs> it did. And I'm ready to go back to a corn concert. I'm like, I've, yeah. I've broken through my well, like, hipster veil. Fabulous new album last year. And then Jonathan Davis had his first solo album, which he went on tour for. So you never know. I will go with you next time they come to town. Amazing. That yes. is my commitment. Yes. <laughs> And then my other favorite one that we've done recently was when James and I did a fictional porno episode. <laughs> it was based on Knife and Heart, which was Brittany's favorite movie from last year, and I think is going to be one of our mm-hmm. like website favorites once I get that list together. 
because Knife and Heart is based on like fictional porno in 70s Paris, I was like, oh, let's watch other movies with fictional porn in it. We watched Hardcore, and we watched Which is great. Bruce LaBruce's The Misandrists. You basically forced me to watch Fisting. <laughs> yeah. Like, a and like, grown man's asshole spread to it an absurd mm. degree. To its apex. And yeah. there's also a mm. genital reassignment <laughs> like, surgery. V- gruesome, like, vintage gender reassignment surgery. It was like The old stuff. Yeah, it was not <laughs> cute. But I, I like how confrontational it was, and I do like the occasional chance to offend you. It, it's not easy. So when it does happen, I feel good. I, I did feel good, too. It's like, oh, wow, I can still be shocked by something. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit. And that stuff is combined with this, like, kind of, che- like, I don't want to say cheesy, but, like, kind of, like, wholesomely cheeky, like, John Waters, like, camp. Uh, it's a fun movie that just happens to have this, like, gruesome uh, confrontational imagery in it, too. And I feel like that sort of, like, collection of movies sort of encompasses the kind of cinema I've been, like, obsessed with lately. That, like, almost pornographic, like, vulgar stuff that's also, like, really fun to watch. I don't know. That just really really felt great. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think, like, I really like that episode because I'm always drawn to, like, the episodes where I feel like there's a really good in-depth discussion. And I feel like we got to the heart of something in that one. Especially talking about hardcore, like, that was a surprisingly emotional movie, Mm -hmm. especially about, like, masculinity and, like, what is allowed within that and, like, where where that stops and how it fails people. I don't know. It was, like, a really cool combo, I think. Yeah, that that was a really good episode. So, lots of great episodes of this show, you know? Go around, tell people about it, leave us some reviews, say hello to Mr. Hot Dog Boy if you know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) And today, we're going to talk about a humble topic. (laughs) The greatest films of all time. We sort of kicked around uh, some ideas of how, what to do this episode. One of them was to redo the Killer Dolls episode with like more of a focus and like structure. One of them was to do like our least favorite movies of all time, which was... That's not our style. It sounded yeah. miserable, yeah. yeah. I don't want to rewatch something I hated and kick it around and force y'all to watch it too. That didn't sound <laughs> fun. And then we were looking instead at like those like 100 greatest movies lists. And the one we settled on was the BFI's... Sight and Sound Top 100, which is sort of regarded to be like the cinephiles list. It's like the hoity-toity list. They do it once every decade, and they pull like hundreds of film critics and art restoration people and film festival curators, like really like, uh, like Brittany said earlier, like pinky in the air film snobs. (laughs) Um, And what we did was we each blind picked a movie none of us had seen before. And we're going to talk about four movies from that list. And now we're all four films richer. We're all, like, a little more knowledgeable about the greatest films ever, according to the Sight and Sound poll. Right. I feel like I am just, like, on top of everything right now. We are better humans. Yes. We're all wearing black turtlenecks and berets right now. (laughs) We've got our cigarettes in the cigarette holder so we don't burn our lips. I'm ready to smoke. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, hopefully we don't betray our trash cred of what we usually talk about, which would be more of that fisting Bruce Le Bruce yes. end of cinema. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. I think the sweet, stupid donkey just really captures the nature of love. It kind of reminds me of Forrest Gump. His blind, stupid, sweet way of loving. I don't feel like we love that way. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And that's kind of a redundant statement because all of us had a recommendation this episode. 
And it was all movies that none of us had seen yet. We all kind of blind picked off of the larger sight and sound top 100 films of all time. And Hana happened to pick the earliest film in chronological order of, of anything off the list. Yes. What did you choose for us to watch? I chose Al Hazard Balthazar, which uh, was made by Robert Bresson in 1966. And I chose it because it has a donkey. And that's pretty much, <laughs> you know, that's why. That's the reason. Um, so it's a movie about a baby donkey that is purchased in the French countryside, uh, kind of by the the Pyrenees Mountains, I think, Mm -hmm. in that area. Um, So the donkey is passes through the hands of many owners throughout his life. Um, He is mistreated by some and he is uh, loved by others. And you're just following the progression of his life along with uh, this girl that really loves him named Marie. And their lives kind of have like a parallel. Yeah, they kind of move away from each other, but they they, they intersect yeah. at many different points. Um, and I really love and am also kind of troubled by these animal movies that have a lot of cruelty. Like they're using animals as, you know, a symbol of suffering in general, like, you know, Black Beauty and War Horse. So I was expecting this movie to be like emotionally cloying and that's kind of the problem that I usually have with them. I mean, it seems like emotionally manipulative basically. But this movie didn't actually fall into that realm. Feels very matter of fact yeah. in some ways. Yeah, it was. Balthazar just kind of uh, you know, he's has his tail lit on fire at one oh, point. God. He's like beaten repeatedly, but I don't know, it's never this like really over sentimentalized depiction. And then the film really isn't very melodramatic either. All of the characters um, kind of deliver their lines very matter of factly. And I actually read something that Robert Bresson wanted to take like all of the emoting out of his act- actors. He That's wanted- like his shtick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which was very, it was like kind of jarring for me at first, but I really appreciated that actually because, you know, I think it is really a valuable way of looking at the experience of suffering throughout a life without kind of pushing in the, like shoving the pathos down your throat with a stick. Is this all of our first Brisson film? Has anybody seen a Brisson movie before? This is my first. I thought I had seen stuff by this director. I thought it was Besson. Who has done like Luke Besson? Right. Who's done like <laughs> the fifth element. Yeah, yeah. And Leon the Professional is like, how like far has he come? Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with this guy's work. I was like, wait, this is a, this is a different guy. This is quite a um, divergence. And then yeah, it's my Could be related though. <laughs> totally was wrong on that one. And it's my first two, and I yeah, his like main like legacy is like stripping artifice from performances. Yeah. And you really don't get any more basic than like this animal. This, like, donkey like <laughs> does not have any, like, emotion that's being expressed on his face. And yet you feel, like, yes. so much watching yeah. him, like, go through his life. I, I think yeah. it's important to point out, too, that apparently this was based on Dostoevsky's The, the idiot, idiot. Which, you know, a donkey is the quintessential, like, idiot right. animal. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt watching him. It's like, you know he's feeling something, but he's so kind of blank and... Even when he's getting abused, he just sort of has like this blank, like, well, this is my lot in it life. It makes it even hurt more, like, though, because yeah. you're like, you don't even know that this isn't right. I guess I'll go eat some hay. <laughs> yeah, lunch on the grass. But yeah, it feels less cloying. You know, it's yeah. like, 
you have to project the empathy onto the animal. It's not like they're emoting and you, it, they're making you feel something. Mm-hmm. It's like you're forced to feel Well, there was something. this one part where one of his many owners um, was giving him water and he just looked so depressed yeah. and just like looked at the water and was like, <laughs> not even, I don't no, care. I'm good. I kind of like really felt like his pain at that part. Well, it felt like he was about to kill himself like just by just, not drinking water. Right, yeah, because he like, was very sad. And right? at that point, all he was supposed to do was walk in a circle to like run this mill. Ugh. And the uh, owner's plan was to run this old donkey to death. He's like, oh, yeah. I might get a few months out of him and then and I won't then need him anymore. Yeah, when the rains come. I was Another thing like about this movie, I was really expecting there to be a big connection between... Our main girl, yeah, and Balthazar, mm-hmm. and there really wasn't. I believe there was. You do well. I just didn't really like. I thought she would have been more like when she saw him, like, "Oh my god, Balthazar!" Mm. Like there were times where she just like passed in front of him, like he wasn't there, and I'm like, "Oh." Like, but again, I think that's the director like forcing muted performances, like saying you can't emote again. It's like forcing the audience to create the empathy not the actors which yeah. i think is like kind of his approach but yeah it can feel a little cold i was just sometimes. surprised by it because looking at like the visuals for the movie like it's a lot of like i guess the advertisement for it is this girl like holding embracing this donkey so i'm like oh wow like they're gonna be like i don't know it wasn't yeah. as black beauty as i thought it was right. going and to be i know what you're talking about it's like the like in black beauty the the boy has this relationship with the horse. Right. And then he's like, I love this horse so much. And then, you know, Black Beauty has Black Beauty's life. And then they're reunited at the end. And the right. I th- I'm pre- right. Is yeah. That kind of like okay. that. She just yeah. pets him a couple of times. Right. But and so it's like their relationship wasn't as like it wasn't the sole focus of the movie. Like, I felt like she loved him. Right. But she also wasn't willing to do everything in her power to protect him. Like, it was a more complicated relationship. Well, Mm -hmm. and speaking about complicated with... um, Marie. 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 I was so conflicted with her character. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one minute, like, she has this boyfriend character who's an utter piece of crap. And she'll, like... Gerard. She'll, like, have him chase... It's an abusive relationship. Yeah. Right. And then she'll, like, go back to him. And then it was was just so, like, hard to watch sometimes. Very hard to watch. Well, I think the thing about the movie is that she starts off, like, very emotive towards the donkey. Mm -hmm. Like, when she's a child at this, like, school where the the donkey is born. And And baptized. Like, that whole part Mm -hmm. of the movie is very different. She canonizes him as a saint, as a child. Right. And then the first time she sees him again, she's, like, very emotive. And, Mm -hmm. like, oh, thank God this donkey's back in my life. And then she gets, I, I mean, I hate to say it so bluntly, she gets, like, raped and beaten into this gang. And, like, life starts beating the emotion out of her. That by the time she's older and basically has become forced into, like, prostitution for survival, mm-hmm. she has nothing left to emote mm-hmm. and, like, nothing left to give. Kind of like her family, too. Like and I think that's an a parallel with bunch. the donkey, too. Like, all yeah. he has left is work and toil and, like, mm-hmm. his saintliness is... The fact that he can endure pain and, like, suffering and not fight back. And, I don't know, there's some really uncomfortable parallel between the two characters. But then to go even a step further from that, it's, like, kind of the the life of the working class is, like, 
yeah, you basically work till you die, till mm-hmm. your body is no longer useful. Oh, yeah. You know, it, there was like layers of metaphor in this movie where I honestly like would have to watch it maybe two, three more times to give you a concise thought. Because there's the Christian metaphor too. Like obviously like he's a Christ-like figure and in the end he's surrounded by his lambs and there's like a... Oh, man. And the, he's a saint. And I also read something where... The director wanted all the seven deadly sins to be represented. So there's like a lot of... <laughs> that went over my head. <laughs> yeah, no, there's shit like that where like it went over my head. Like there's mm-hmm. Christian metaphors. There's right. economic... Me- like on first watch, some of that kind of mm-hmm. kind of went over me. I did not pick up on but, any of that. But I, could, yeah. I get it. But you know, get you it. get it. Like, because that is what it's about. You, yeah. you just work till you die and life is suffering I guess, like, that could but, also, now that I'm thinking about it, like, the whole situation with her dad kind of was weird to me, where I'm like, he pretty much, it seems like he died of a broken heart, but, like, he didn't seem sad ever, well, or happy ever. But remember, yeah. his wife is like, please, whatever you do, don't take my husband, I'll be so lonely. But and, with a straight face, too. Right, and then the just, second later, God takes her husband. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, I heard your prayer, and... Fuck you. Immediately fucking dies. Where she's like, oh, I'm like, why is she moving his hands like that? I'm like, oh, he is dead. Like, it literally just happened. So, yeah, like, that whole, her whole family had that weird curse that she almost had. And the donkey of just, like, life crapping on them. And they're like, yep, I guess that's it. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Well, and I think that their kind of, like, blankness is also a side effect of the, like, non-stilted perform or the the non-emotive performances right right like you have to think about the characters relationships with each other just in like pure physical action and the dialogue but so well one thing when you were talking about her parallel with balthazar brandon it, it did remind me of that scene at the very end when she's talking to jacques um her old love from when she was a child um, and she says, you know, when I was younger, I dreamed of having a love and someone to, you know, take me away. Um, and we would play our games with Balthazar. But now, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me. And it's like she she's lost all of that fantasy of like love and joy and happiness. And it's a lot easier to like sink into that tragedy than mm-hmm. the well, okay. The, I want to say than the donkeys, but the donkey made me so sad. I did. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah. the thing is, that, like, he is a blank slate. Mm-hmm. In like, probably he is what Brisson wants out of his actors, and like doesn't right. get. But the thing about the donkey is like you're projecting all this like humanity onto him, yeah. and people do that to a folly in the film. Mm-hmm. Like people are reading into what the donkey is expressing. I think the most outright joke about that is when he is the greatest mind of our time. (laughs) Uh, There's like a sequence where Balthazar runs off to join the circus and uh, becomes an act where he like does simple math and people are like impressed by his intelligence. Mm -hmm. And like that's people like projecting what they want to see out of the donkey. And it becomes kind of this like farce like... um, Forrest me. Gump or like uh, <laughs> Chauncey Gardner and um, being there. Mm. Like there's this kind of like joke about like how we read into people's, we read into animals' emotions and mm-hmm. like read a humanity that might not be there. Right. But then the movie also does take his arc seriously. Like there really is a religious reverence to his death scene yeah. towards the end that I don't think is cheeky in any way. Like it feels very genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard to like balance out like what is the movie like poking fun at how we can read into like blank slate characters like that and what is 
like genuine tragedy. And I guess what has to happen to a person to be drugged down to that level and yeah. like watching the woman suffer and watching the donkey suffer and like where our sympathies lies. It's all very complicated. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It hurts a lot. This movie's like very painful. I will say I loved all four of the films we watched. This is the only movie that made me cry. Me too. Yeah. And the, the very, and I wasn't expecting it at all. And like I cry during movies constantly, Me too. just all the, <laughs> all the time, and usually it's because you're. I'm receiving cues like, okay, now's the time to cry. The dog is dying. Like the woman's dying. The their you know family being separate, whatever. So I was just you know kind of walking along with this movie, and then when he gets into the open field, and you hear the bells of the lambs tinkling, and and then he just sits down on the I just started crying like I it was such a relief and such a peaceful moment and again I mean this is projection but it, you could feel kind of like the peace in Balthazar and then he it reminded me of the giant bell and like Andre Rublev that Tarkovsky movie we watched mm-hmm. like there's like this genuine religious like response it pulls mm-hmm. in you yeah. even as someone who is not religious by nature at all like right. I, I felt that like sort of euphoric mm-hmm. uh sadness i don't know yeah i didn't feel i didn't really feel sad though i felt like kind of like you said relieved and sort of happy in a way when he does pass at the end because we've watched him get abused humiliated for the whole film and at the end it's kind of like death is the release it's relief from Mm -hmm. all this shit and it was a very peaceful death. Like, right, it's like, that's like the, the best. Surrounded by these like beautiful, like gentle sheep. That's the yeah, best case scenario. Surrounded yeah. by like where you came from, by yeah. people mm-hmm. that love you, and you can just pass away in this nice field. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like happy. But yeah. death is of, a sad relief to me. I don't know. Like, I, I don't see relief. Relief. it can't be both. I kind yeah, of just wanted Mar- yeah. like Marie to have like taken him with her when she left. I'm like, right. fucking take him. And yeah. like, y'all go hang out together. And like, you give him all the good treats. <laughs> but right. that didn't I, I think that is the the duality of it. It's like it's a relief from pain, but it's also it's a sad thing. I yeah. mean, it just yeah. is. Um, you're ceasing to exist. That is sad. So yeah, I mean, the film obviously is going into some deep shit. Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> like, is like very like, simple but deep as fuck yeah. at yeah. the same time yeah. because of its simplicity. It's yeah. crazy. Totally. How, how do you feel like based on like? what attracted you to it versus what you got out of it like i was attracted to it because again like i love and hate those like kind of emotionally manipulative animal movies i love animals i mean i think probably all of us love animals yes and i especially love ungulates i love cows and horses and donkeys so i was kind of expecting that but i knew that it had to be something more interesting if it was on this the sights and sounds list like it couldn't just be a like a balto situation um and i didn't get that tugged out weepy crying but i feel like you said the emotional release that i had felt like pure because robert Bisson wasn't trying to like create that experience it just felt like a really authentic loving response I think it was a very interesting mediation on suffering and also the control that we have over the suffering or the joys that we experience or lack thereof. So I I think I got more out of it than I imagined I would. And I'm happy I picked it. 
When I think of the way human beings process consciousness, it's much more in line with the way I think Wong tells that story. The movie's not linear, it's sort of almost circular. And I think when we think about the things we're feeling, we often tie them not to what's happening to us right now, but to something that happened either in the past or something we're anticipating happening. And now for our larger conversation, which is really just more blind picks from the same list. Brittany picked a movie from 1973. I did. That's the next movie chronologically. What was it? La Mama et la Putain, or The Mother and the Whore. <laughs> <laughs> I like that version. Yeah, Mother and the Whore. Um, <laughs> and I picked this movie because looking at the list, well, the goal was we wanted to pick movies that like not everybody else has seen. Mm-hmm. And I think like the fir- first five, everyone's like, yep, saw that one, saw that one. I was like, okay, good. Like this is a cultured crew. <laughs> but damn it, I don't know what to pick now. And then I saw that title and I was like, that sounds interesting. Like I love what I'm assuming it was looking at the title was the whole like the mother and the whore. How a lot of times, you know, like when men get married, their wife becomes the mother and then they have affairs because they miss having the whore. So I thought it was going to be about that. And the common, like, colloquial term is the Madonna whore complex. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the dichotomy yeah. of womanhood. But had I known that this film was, like, four... Three and a half hours <laughs> No, long. it is Almost more four hours. It's like four hours. Three and a half, that's generous. That's like, Irishman levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would have picked it. I really don't think I would have if it would have been this long. So I think the fact that I did pick it, I've I've never watched a film that long. This You're beats, so cultured now. I'm so cultured. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and it's movies. a film that also like has not been released on DVD. Like it, I feel only even, available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube or VHS a like on gym. eBay or right. something. So yeah. I with no subtitles probably. So I feel even more cultured. <laughs> I will say I watched this and The Irishman this week, which is a lot of oh movie. Your whole week's done. I liked this more like way more okay oh good well, so i wasn't turned off by the runtime here i expected to be though i thought like at first like whenever i pulled up the youtube video i was like what the fuck am i getting myself <laughs> into like what have i done and it wasn't that bad it did not feel like it was four hours i hope it didn't feel like it was four no. hours for everybody i really liked this movie it's just um i found a lot of humor in it it's basically about this guy his name is Alexander and he has a um, scarf, a neck scarf that would put mm. Jimi Hendrix to shame. <laughs> and he just floats around and like cafe hops and smokes and pretends to read important mm-hmm. shit that he doesn't read and just like is horny. So he's so douchey and I did not like him. I don't think I was supposed to like him. And he just did not shut up. Like he just like talked and talked and talked about useless crap. For the most part of this movie. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And then he lives with a woman who is older than him. Her name is Marie. And I think she's my favorite character in this movie, who is the mother. And she... I mean, he doesn't work, by the way, so that makes him cooler, right? So he doesn't work... Um, lives well, working would be so bourgeoisie. Right. It would be, yeah, absolutely. Because this is post like May 1968 yeah. in Paris after these like anti-imperialism riots and things of that sort. So he's kind of from that, but still in it, <laughs> in it to mm-hmm. win it. <laughs> um, and he does bring up references to that time period a few times too when he's talking on and on and on to you. Like, he faces the camera and just talks. Well, back to Marie. Like, Marie um, supports him. And they have, like, an apartment that is, like, similar to mine. <laughs> so I related. You know, you've <laughs> literally got a room. 
Um, I did move up from having a mattress on the floor. I did get a, a bed frame. Mm. And it's just, like, really tiny and, you know... That's our other recording studio. The other recording studio, (laughs) by the way. It is difficult. Yeah. (laughs) And I have a a pit bull and a cat in there as well. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, they, you know, he just kind of sleeps all day. She goes to work. uh, She owns, like, a dress shop. And he just wakes up, throws on his big fucking scarf, gets some cigarettes, and hops around cafes trying to pick up chicks. And... The girl that he was sort of having a side relationship with leaves him. She gets married and she's like done with this weird relationship with Alexander. And then he develops a relationship with Veronica. Not before deciding that that was the love of his life and he must try to like talk her out of marrying this other guy who's actually committed to her. Yeah. Yeah. In the laziest way possible, too. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this guy is just like sloth yeah but he meets veronica and veronica's this young kind of how do you describe her like she's not very she's very nonchalant she's the liberated woman she is like she's she's on the pill she doesn't care about she leaves her tampax in just so she can have somebody pull it out when they're having sex with her because she's not really on her period I'm like, that must be so painful. Yeah, that... A dry tampon. Yeah, I don't think that should be encouraged necessarily. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I don't know if she died, but if she, if she, that was real, she would have died of um, yeah. toxic, toxic shock, shock syndrome. syndrome. I thought that was going to be a huge part of my I'm life like, when I was a child. Yes. That should be a horror movie, right? Yes, yeah. it should be. I was like, <laughs> this is an, ex- oh, an extended scene of this four-hour movie is Veronica dying of TSS. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that does not happen. A PSA for TSS. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, he starts having this like side relationship with her, and she is like, quote unquote the whore so he has the mother he has the whore and he's just kind of playing with both of these women's emotions where like i feel like marie doesn't really give a shit about him she just likes having him there for entertainment purposes like i don't even know if they fuck like i'm pretty sure you're talking about the mother yeah i think she's (laughs) in love with him genuinely Mm -hmm. i feel like they they both are are. i feel like she likes the idea of having him there I don't know. Like I didn't pick up on love from her. Like I thought like you like having someone in your home with you. And I have friends like that where they're in relationships with some dude just to have somebody in their fucking house. And I kind of felt that like, you know, he brings some kind of entertainment into her life. I think she's much more tragic than that. Or maybe more. I don't know. I think, I think her love for him was mostly like mostly materialized through anger. She was like really pissed off that he's seeing, he started seeing Veronica and and she's, like, pretending that she doesn't care. She's like, no, well, you can go, like, do whatever you want. I'll do whatever I want. But she she really does care about him. And she she is jealous, she's I She's, like, think. polyamorous under distress. Not, I like, by choice. Because like, I yeah. didn't feel... I didn't feel a lot of passion from any of these characters. I would think that if somebody was really upset by that, they would have been more animated about it. Any I'm, of them. I don't know. She has, like, a martyr complex where, like, maybe. she is willing to suffer a certain amount of embarrassment. Because she loves him so much, and like that's the tragedy of her character. She was this older woman getting off on supporting a younger dude. (laughs) Also, like I'm like this. Maybe that's how she gets. I do have to say one thing about the Alexander character. It's like he is, he is a pontificator. Yeah, he is the worst part of what a lot of guys do. He's a hipster. I've done it. (laughs) Come on. <laughs> We've all been like I don't know if Brandon will admit cigarettes? he's done it. But oh, like, I, I do it. Yeah, we do it. Yeah. Like we pontificate. We mm-hmm. love to ruminate on philosophical things and like love to hear people listen 
to our words and like this movie is four hours of that and as it's going along like you get sucked into it more and it becomes like more tragic as it goes on yeah. because I don't think he's like a horrible guy yes he is I don't think he I is. Think yes, he is. <laughs> I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think any of the people in this picture are bad. I have people. so much to say about how like the specific kind of terrible he is. I don't want to like jump in because it's like a lot of information. Yeah, he's well, the guy finish. that pretends yeah. that he gives a shit about women's feelings, but doesn't give a shit about women's feelings. No, that's a start. He is, yeah, like, he is completely <laughs> self-centered. Yeah, like he's te- he's trying to like. You know, seem you know intellectual just to like lure people into this like obnoxious web but, of shit. But he is able to make people love him. I do yeah. think the He's women entertaining. His, the women in his life genuinely love him. You know, whatever yeah. your definition of that is. <laughs> so he's a complex. All these characters and why I actually like this movie is everyone is complicated in this movie and yeah. they're complex. And even him, who's Again, he's sort of like that guy that just keeps talking. He won't shut up. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I can't stop. You know. I will and continue. so, like, watching the movie, you're not like an Alexander, though, no, like there are no, no, no. a lot no. of men out there that are like that. You are, but they're you not aware. Fucking run into them right. when you're in the bywater. Like, <laughs> like right, right. He's a hipster Man. twerp. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. yeah. So that's the aspect I found interesting is like the yeah. movie on the surface seems like it's kind of celebrating liberalism, like right. celebrating like everyone just have sex and we all can drink and just talk about philosophy mm-hmm. all day. And but this is so it's great. It's not that easy. But it's actually like empty and it's yeah. vapid. And I get and, that. And at the end, like there's this great mo- mm-hmm. monologue from Veronica where she's talking about like, mm. you know, I just want to feel love. I want to be in love with a man. I want to create a child with someone I love. And that's like a more conservative idea and that's, of happiness. That's the quote unquote whore character who's mm-hmm. been relegated to this like right. free sex lifestyle. Right. And since she's been pigeonholed as that, she's been shut off from this other kind of love. Mm-hmm. And then you get that great she Bergman. Thinks that's all she deserves. Yeah. Almost. And yeah. then you get that great Bergman-esque like close up where she just talks for like five minutes. I solid. love it. Yeah. I love it. It's a breakdown. Like, finally I love that someone else is fucking so talking too. Like it felt refreshing. And you yeah. get like a real you know, sense of what he's done to her the whole movie. Yeah. I think I would need to how can I watch it again either? <laughs> but I feel like I need to because like when I was watching it, I like just saw like, you know, Marie as just that and I guess like her character does have more love interest in Alexander than I assumed. But yeah, like Veronica uh, she made me laugh so many fucking times. Mm-hmm. Like where she's when they're in her apartment, she's like, "Isn't it just nice to like, you know, have like a cock next to your ass while you're sleeping? Yeah. Do you want cream or sugar with your coffee?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was the most interesting yeah, character. Oh, for sure, my far. So funny and like just so freely talking about her sex life too. Her, and his then, bullshit like bounces off of her. Yeah, and like the menage a trois scene too. Like he kind of ruined it. I think where it was like they were kind of interested in each other, and then I'm like. You could probably chill back there for a second. And then he just hovers on top. And the way he makes out with these women, it's like he is sucking their yeah. face oh, into yeah. his fucking throat. Devouring. But I, I, do think, I do think the movie is, like, on the surface, it seems like it's more about the men or about Alexander. I mean, I think it's really about Veronica. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it, what I it's think, really like, about. I think it seems like She's it's about him. And it probably was meant to fucking be about him initially. But that's not, like, the perspective it takes. Because it does look, like, very, like, misogynist. 
you know, if you kind of just look at it and you don't really sit there and watch the four hours. I think it's about misogyny. Yeah. yeah. Way, but yeah. I think it's like a, you could take, I could see how somebody could go in there and just be like, I hated this. I didn't want to hear this dude talk, but I almost looked at it as like, no, like it's funny because yeah. he's an idiot. You start to go into like a fever dream. Like the longer it went on, I was just staring at him like, man, this dude keeps talking. <laughs> like, and like, what time is it? Oh, like we're an hour and a half in already. We got about two There's and a like, half more hours. The way that the cafe hopping happens too, where yeah. it's just like, He'll like go in there and be like, oh, she's at a table with somebody else. Oh, there's another woman I kind of know who's also a murderer. And let me go like yeah. talk to her. There's like table hopping and then just sort of like, oh, yeah, like I'm talking with this person. You go at another table. Like I that made me feel uncomfortable. The, it's just showing the emptiness of What their table li- does he truly lifestyle. belong at? <laughs> I think it did have to be this long. Like the, the first three hours and 40 minutes is it's basically him talking yeah and it's a bunch of like pseudo intellectual like puffery and nonsense and then in the last like 20 minutes of the movie you get in my opinion the most emotionally affecting bit of speech which is veronica having given like a slice of the same spotlight that he's gotten the entire movie and she also has the most lived in kind of like philosophy to give she's on one hand attacking the idea of a whore and also you know attacking the idea of this free love liberalism like she's taking the politics out of it and just looking at the human experience of like needing sex and needing love and not being able to get what you need from the people around you her like literally two minutes of talking made more of an impact than like the three hours right. and 45 minutes of alexander yeah like, and a lot blurbing. of like movements we get that are like lauded as like countercultural, mm-hmm. like punk and hippies and you know they're way more misogynist and like conservative than they really seem like on the surface right and they're like anti-revolutionary but their sex politics are like just as bad as anybody else's right, right. This is where I'm going to go on the like rant where I sound like the main character of this movie. And I apologize for that ahead of time. But the casting of the main character, what's the male's name? I don't remember his name. Alexandre. Okay. So his casting as Jean-Pierre Layoud is very weighted. He is the kid from the 400 Blows. Right. When he was like 13 or some shit, right? Yeah. So he is intrinsically part of the fabric of the French new wave, which if you look at this sight and sound top 100 film, like probably, you know, a third of it is oh, French, French new wave. New wave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is like post that time it's frame. No mistake that we've talked about two yeah. French movies in a row yeah. for that exact reason. So when we watch him in the death of Louis the 14th, which is a film me and James watched, mm-hmm. we're watching the death of that movement. We're watching like all these old legends kind of die on screen. When we watch the 400 blows, we're watching like the start of the movement. Casting him in this movie is like this like post-autopsy for me on the French New Wave. This is after the New Wave is kind of over. It's the 70s. So that like counterculture wave of it is over and they're kind of looking back and watching this man like talk over people for like hours and like basically only process life through like hipsterish pop culture obsession and like philosophical remove where he's not actually like engaging with the world in any kind of genuine way. It felt like the movie was just obviously coming from a place of like reverence for that art movement, but also like picking at its faults. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just couldn't help but see him as like a symbol for like that ideology. 
And it's something that carries over. Like, I don't think the hipsters of that era are very different from, like, when we were in college (laughs) or probably as the kids are now. Not that I encounter a lot of 20-somethings at this time in my life. But it endures. And it just feels like, you know, his casting really, like, dictates a lot of, like, what happens in the movie. And I just couldn't help but look at it that way. I don't know if Mm. that y'all engaged with it in that way at all. No. Nope. Oh, (laughs) fair enough. Well, no, but... It's interesting. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. To your point, though, the um, actress that played Veronica apparently was not an actual trained actress Mm -hmm. she was just a friend of the director they was like oh yeah come be on my movie and the director that's in the movie is himself uh right is like the best friend guy of the hipster didn't she kill herself veronica in real life in real real life life. oh that's i didn't know that so apparently the director he based almost this entire film on his like true life experiences and then yeah i think what you're saying is right that the woman whose life was the basis of the Veronica character killed herself after watching yeah. the film. Fuck. Yeah. And then because it was too real, like and then it, he killed himself not very long after, right? Fuck. What? <laughs> he was like in his forties. I, I didn't think, know that. And he killed himself. And the honestly, director. I think oh, he has one of the best That's jokes very in the tragic. movie. Like he has this joke where he is in a wheelchair in his apartment, and the main character is like, "Where'd you get that wheelchair?" He's like, "I don't know. I stole it from some like." crippled person Such as a, a joke move. yeah yeah like it was an ironic joke God. and like yeah i don't know that that feels like a central core of the movie is just dunking on this like hipster irony yeah. and like how harmful it's it is. so weird how like it's so long ago and like how relevant it still is everything going on in this film is still like ish you know it's still a thing that's happening yeah, yeah definitely and the hipster irony thing i mean it's also tied in with the like cultural revolution of the 60s mm-hmm. In right. France, and this is like the post-revolution where it's like, all right, now we have free love, we have sexual liberation, we have women's rights, and then all the characters in this film are just like empty. Mm-hmm. It's like right. none of that really like filled It's not the for thing everyone. The- That's the thing like I took away from this. Like everyone likes the idea of free love, but some people like they just don't like that and that's okay. I feel like it's part of the picture, but yeah. there's something deeper on a... I don't know. Well, it's sort of spiritual level. That, it like, serves we the need. people who are already in power. Like it serves straight white men who like yeah have nothing to lose really. Right. And like I don't know the women who also indulge in like the pleasures of it eventually get shit on and like I don't mm-hmm. know. But it's also I think saying that like they don't want just like free love like just free sex. They want love like be in love right. to be spiritually connected with another person. Like that's really what people want. And the free love movement wasn't really giving that to people. It was just giving them vapid, empty sex. And that's not enough to sustain you as like a human spirit. I really like this movie. I did not expect to. Like it was just yeah. constant picking at this like hipster misogyny, ironic detachment. Yeah. And I thought that would get old, but apparently I can watch that for four hours. (laughs) So good. Because it's like, I know people like this. Like, I know so many Alexanders and Marie's and Veronica's. Like, it's, that's why, yeah, I liked it for that reason. And I do have to say that I did, like, warm up to Alexander as the movie went on. Especially after the, I forgot what, it was in the cafe and it's the first scene where it's like a straight close-up shot. And then it's switching between him and Veronica. And he was just so earnest in whatever it was he was trying to talk about. And it was, I don't know, that earnestness kind of touched me. 
And I understood yeah. why these women would be in love with him, even if he doesn't give them anything that is like really lasting or solid emotionally. I think it's the same reason that it's never boring is that like he's right. an entertaining Yeah, totally. Like and he only smiles pontificator. like twice, which freaked me out. I'm like if a guy is talking that long and he only cracks a smile once or twice for weird shit, like run. And he's the <laughs> one that calls her out for not smiling, which yeah. is another like misogynist like calling right. card. Totally. Totally. Which yeah. is like, hey, why don't you smile sometimes? And she smiles for a brief second to like please him and then like goes back to <laughs> what, what I think is great about the scene Hannah's talking about is that he's kind of pouring his heart out about this girl that he was in love with that got pregnant and she aborted their child and apparently like started an affair with the doctor that aborted his child Mm -hmm. and then she like ghosted him and that's where his like heartbreak is coming from but then he like starts to get like kind of teary-eyed and then he puts on his sunglasses (laughs) which I thought was the most telling yeah. Part of his character is like, as soon as he's about to show you genuine emotion, I gotta like put up. Also, it's not cool. Yeah, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not I cool. gotta like have some separation. Also, we know that real. girl, and we know how horrible he is to her, and it, we have seen him interacting with her, and the way he presents it is not how he acts it out. He's so like yeah, overbearing. <laughs> yeah, like, he just wants to like be in control of like all these women's lives <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like you don't do you don't bring anything yeah. to the table like leave and it's <laughs> just, like, like go in the streets. He wants them to kind of puzzle themselves together in his life in a way that is suiting for, for him, himself. which do, which just doesn't, you know, and I think that kind of starts to break down when Veronica calls him and she's super drunk and, you know, that he's on one hand, he's like, oh, I like women that are like that. And they, you know, I like people that don't obey, but he's again, he's like philosophizing it or making it into like an abstract idea of something that you love about someone and he even says in the beginning in the very beginning he says the things that i love about women are like totally removed from their identity it's like a coat that you can put on them and Mm. put on somebody else and he blows up anytime they have a a second person in their life anytime they have a man over he throws like a temper tantrum yeah yeah with another so it's not really free love it's like love on his terms right Exactly. exactly yeah and I, I kind of mentioned this before, but I do really like that Veronica presents a complicated picture of that free love lifestyle. I think a lot of times any kind of media presents it one of two ways, like either it's free love is the best thing for everybody or you're morally bankrupt. And she says, you know, there is no such thing as a whore what about those women that are married and they're fantasizing about fucking the milkman or the, you know, her husband's boss or, you know, women that are just having sex with any man that comes like that doesn't exist. But at the same time, I want love and I want a family and I want someone who wants to make a baby with me. I think that that is totally fair and validating of a lot of women's experiences. So from the death of the French new wave to a, staple of the German new wave. James's pick from 1974, a Rainer Werner Fassbinder pick. I think you're pretty familiar with his... I've seen about five or six of his five movies. Five or six. Yeah. This is the first one I've seen from him. It was a new experience for me, even though it's like one of his better known movies, I would say. So it's like twofold in why I really picked this movie is because... One, it's a director that I've always been interested in that I've never watched a movie from. Mm-hmm. And then also he's like doing an homage to Douglas Sirk, who I'm a huge fan of. And especially this 
particular movie, All That Heaven Allows. Which is the best Douglas Sirk movie. I right, which is like, one, honestly, like if we're doing top 20 of all time or top, it's in there. Yeah, oh, totally. Like this is one of my favorite melodramas. And what's the movie called? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a lot of build up for the title. I know. You, Ali Fear Eats the Soul, which literally does at a point in the movie. So it's telling that Douglas Sirk story of class differences, but it's spinning it in a new way where it's not just like a rich white woman and her like younger white gardener. It's like this kind of poor older woman with her like love interest, like Muslim. Some guy she met at a bar. Guy met at a bar, North Africa. Because it happened to be raining outside. Yeah. Yeah. And it tells like a very kind of similar story to all the heaven allows, but it puts a really still like kind of modern twist mm-hmm. on it. And um, the main character, Emmy, and obviously Ali, Emmy's kind of this lonely older widower who she just kind of stumbles in a bar one night and she's sitting there alone drinking a cola, I don't know, just to get out of the rain. And someone kind of dares this North African Arab gentleman, Arab gentleman <laughs> Ali, to uh, dance with her, and they dance. And what was so beautiful about the beginning of this movie for me is like there wasn't really any courting. It was just like immediately they start dancing and they fall in love. Right, it's love, like from the beginning. Instant connection. The first like third of the movie progresses that way, where it's like, oh, they dance her in love. It's like, hey, let me walk you home. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Let me. Walk up to your apartment. Oh, you know what? Let me make you a coffee. Yeah. Let's have a drink. It's too it's, late. You shouldn't sleep. You yeah. shouldn't go all the way home. You should you sleep on my couch. <laughs> like, you know what? Just sleep on my couch. It's you just know like what? the honeymoon stage of a relationship. And like just one everything night. Everything is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first third of this movie is like beautiful. It's like love just kind of in a very succinct right. way. And then kind of what happens is like people suck. And the outside world sucks. And people are racist. And... This is set in Germany, and, you know, there's all these fear of immigrants. It's not too different than what it is today. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, it's so it's, reflective of, like, right. today yeah. with, like, still you know, what Mexican we're immigrants. Like, well, yeah, in America. Well, even in Europe, in the Europe, North African immigration yeah, it, is... It's still a big deal, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, it sets it up where this love is so pure mm-hmm. between them, and now these outside forces are kind of getting in their ear about how wrong it is, how this and that, and kind of the tragedy of the film as it goes on is that eventually the relationship starts to fracture because they can't keep it contained to just themselves. Like society has an impact and it's kind of, and it starts to like change. I think some of the fractures might be internal. The way she like sort of falls back on racist tendencies that she doesn't see in herself start to crumble like his love for her a little bit well yeah when she starts to go into like he's an object and gorgeous yeah she treats him like labor him like that but it, yeah but see it, it does shift i think it is about like racism in a very yeah overt way because like one thing i loved about this movie was like it paints such a clear picture where like these people are very racist they say racist things they it's obvious who they are it's not like that covert racism where we kind of keep it hush hush right it's very out in the open but the film does shift from like that overt racism to more like implicit like she objectifies his body 
objectifies his like labor and like she used to be a genuine member of the Nazi party and like still treats Hitler like a celebrity yeah, yeah and goes to eat at Hitler's oh. favorite restaurant <laughs> which is fucked up insane his that big empty Hitler restaurant yeah. <laughs> but the film is beautiful in like their genuine connection with one another the cinematography the music kind of sweeps you off your feet and then you're Again, like the way it deals with racism in a very black and white way in the beginning and then shifts to a more subtle, I guess what you'd call like modern race or like a more nuanced, nuanced. Yeah. Like everyone starts to be okay with him when they realize they can use him for certain things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that dude could probably move some shit for me. So I'm going to be nice. And the yeah. shift comes right after you feel very bad for her. Like her loneliness mm-hmm. hits this apex yeah. where she's experienced that kind of like scrutiny ostracization for the first time like friends and family and And then when they come back she like slips into these like racist tendencies that she's not aware of that vacation did not do them well no um no so straight up this was my favorite movie that we watched yeah um i liked it a lot because i do have a thing for like cougar movies Mm. and there's not a lot of them like there's um all that heaven allows like harold and maude and like this one can i name one that you love what white palace Oh, fucking White Palace. Yes, you are so right, Brandon. So <laughs> it's a thing I have. Like, I'm a psycho bitty connoisseur and like a cougar film connoisseur, yes. too. So I love that. I love when it's an older woman with a younger dude because I'm so sick of seeing the opposite in every fucking movie and it being okay. So but I like younger that a area, lot. super hot. Made it better dude for with me. Like, like this know. is the path I want in my life. There's yeah. always you know? a question of like how financially <laughs> desperate he is in the movie. Because you don't get a lot of people's internal like I don't emotions. Think, like I don't think that he loved her. It's hard to say. I, think I don't. He did. I think he See? liked how she was kind to him, and he probably didn't experience that a lot. And like in the beginning, in that honeymoon phase, where it's like, yeah. wow, this woman is letting me stay, and like we're having this really good conversation. She's listening to me. Like that part where he busts into her bedroom is like. Ali just wants to talk. And I'm like, oh, that's like so nice. And then they have, you know, that bond. But I think like she becomes infatuated with him where she's like, oh, we're going to get married. And like, you know, she kind of initiates all this kind of stuff. But like, you never really see her like asking his opinion with anything. And I'm like, this is going to well, go in a bad it, direction. Ultimately, it comes down to like, he just wants couscous. And right. she so hates couscous. And yeah, she's not going to make it. That was, that ma- that was my <laughs> least... Or it I was my so favorite scene, but it made me so sad. He just wants sweet pearly couscous. That's all he wants. And then, but you know, someone's given it to him really well. So I think th- he did love her. And I think he's just kind of like lackadaisical. And he doesn't really have any, like he describes yeah. the power dynamic in Germany as like the Germans are the masters and the Arabs are the dogs. Yeah. So I think he's, you know, he doesn't mind getting married to her. I don't think he's using her for money because no. he pays her at some point for I all of the, he, he refuses the cash. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more like I see him as like caring about her, but more on like, so like, you know, a friend level, like as for like, they don't really go into their, sex life but they, they definitely fuck. have yeah they, do, they definitely have do, sex i don't know yeah like, they, they fuck they definitely they don't fuck. show it in the same like i wish they would have shown that like when i have wanted to see it. it's shown in a very she was watching way. him bathe in a very erotic way i was like okay like she's into this like when is she gonna like you know jump his bones but 
I mean, I don't. When he's having the affair, that to me didn't feel like he was in love with no. that woman. He was lonely as fuck. Like he didn't. And it's like he in the beginning he talks about work being, you know, Germans masters, Arabs are the dogs, and he finds somebody that he can have companionship with that he doesn't feel any kind of. He doesn't really feel a power imbalance. And then once they come back from the trip, and she has finally gotten the good graces of her friends back and she's kind of like using him as a prop for them the german master is back in his house again and then he wants couscous she denies him couscous and he just wants some familiarity and that's what brings them together in the first place is they're Mm -hmm. both so like extremely lonely and isolated and that i think is visually expressed in the movie like Germany feels so empty in this film. Yeah, like yes. they go to the, all these like public places, and part of it is because they're an interracial couple, so people kind of like keep their distance. Mm-hmm. But they're just alone in the city, and yeah. like they go to these restaurants and these like public spaces, and there's just like no, no one else around. around. Yeah. yeah, and it's like very just isolating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what they first connect on, and that's what I really like about this mutation of Cirque's deal. Like the Cirque movies are so lush and so like. You get swept up in the emotions of it. Mm-hmm. Here, it's hard to do that because everything is so cold. Like, the city is this yeah. pallid, concrete, yeah. gray blocks. And then there's these pops of, like, color where, like, passion, like, sprites mm-hmm. up. It's mostly, like, primary yellow and red is, like, where the color right. comes through. But it's mostly in when they're interacting in these environments. Like, the mm-hmm. color starts, like, sprouting out of this, like, drab environment. And you really do feel like they're two lonely souls meeting. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in like soulmates and like there's only two people in the world who are perfect for each other, it makes sense that like two people this lonely who are at least compatible enough would be exactly what they need for each other. Yeah, right. So it's easy to buy in in that way, even though there are other questions like what they're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the movie makes you ask that question because, you know... It's not easy for you to be like, why are they crossing these lines to be with each other? It doesn't seem like they're exactly right, right for each other. It seems like they want like co- yeah. companionship. Yeah. It seems yeah. like it, the heart of it. It did remind me a lot of like Harold and Maude. Yeah. Kind of, okay. With the ages thing too is like, again, like we were talking about before, people just want love. Mm-hmm. And like if this like 60 year old woman can give it to me and will give me kindness and affection, like right. that's what we need. I mean, it, it's... It as simple and as complex as that. Like, felt like when they like got back from the trip, that she was trying to like get everyone on board with yeah. her relationship, but Definitely. like by like kind of trying to like glide over that thin line of like dipping over into their racism, but pulling them out of it. And I see that happen a lot, where it's like, oh look, he's clean, right? Like, that kind yeah. of yeah. shit. You know, he's not dirty like you think. Yeah. And he's actually super strong. Like, yeah, his muscles. Yeah. Like, you know. It, she doesn't like, realize she, how insulting she right. is. Right. Like, she's being super insulting. But I think, like, from her perspective, she was like, this is going to show them that not right. all, Arab, all Arabs are, like, how they think if they see him. But it's like, you shouldn't have to do that yeah. in the first place. You know, so it's just, like, watching that and, like, I don't know. Like, it was hard to, like, hate her, I think. There's like, another gray line, too, where, like. I mean, I'm a married person. I don't feel totally uncomfortable saying this, but there's a certain part of like being married where there's like a servitude to it. Like mm-hmm. you do service for your partner that like is labor. Yeah. And it's just part of this like mutual companionship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 
questioning where that line ends right. and where treating this like Moroccan man as your servant begins yeah. is uncomfortable. And I think the movie wants you to like kind of steward in that discomfort a little yeah. bit. It also like leads to what I think is like an ending that caught me really mm. off guard. I kind of thought this was going to either be a happy ending or a traditionally tragic ending. And then when like Ali literally just like falls over, I thought he had a heart attack mm-hmm. and they tell him, oh, it's an ulcer because of stress. And yeah, we'll remove it, but it's going to come back in six months and it's something you have to deal with. I love it's the like, ending. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it because it's like the title tells you from the beginning, Ali, fear eats the soul. And this is a phys- physical manifestation of fear. What's her response to that? Like, oh, he'll be back in a few months. We can't do anything about it. She's right. like, oh, my love for him will get him through it. We'll and I'm be like, okay. God, now and it she's going to have no. more. And it won't. And that's it's like the she's tragedy have more of power romance. over him now that she's going to be his right. caretaker. And then he's not going to be able to leave her, too, which is like, I kind of like, God, this guy's in a rut. And it just got deeper now that, like, he's ill and, like, she's going to assist him. And, yeah. like, it's going to be even harder for him to leave. Yeah, that was a tragic <laughs> thing God. to feel like love can conquer fear. And mm-hmm. in their an situation, fear will eat your soul yeah fear isn't this thing that'll strike you down once and you're gone it's just this like it's perpetual gnawing <laughs> on your stomach for the rest of your life damn it <laughs> so james brought up harold and Maude earlier i think the more immediate connection to me was far from heaven which was todd haynes's like mm-hmm. update to all that heaven allows and basically that movie like combines all that heaven allows and imitation of life into like one narrative where it's like bringing race politics into the uh, melodrama of the working class stuff and all that heaven allows. Mm. Far from heaven, though, like is just like Cirque Redux. There's like a few more political things that are updated. Where it's like there's some like gay stuff that was never in a Cirque movie because you were not allowed to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But watching this makes me respect the Todd Haynes film like less in retrospect. Like this movie is not just. Cirque reheated over. It is like a new thing. And especially that ending where you're like, there is no way out of this. It's Mm -hmm. just bad. Like, that feels like an upsetting mutation of Cirque. Like, it's like repurposing it for this whole new thing. And just like how hard it is to come down on whether or not a person is good or bad in this, or like Mm -hmm. whether or not this relationship is good or bad. Like, that feels like a new mutation of the old template. And I don't know, I just mm-hmm. really like right. respected how this repurposed like old tools for like a new, like you would not mistake this for a Douglas Sirk film. You know it what I'm saying? It didn't feel like a melodrama at all, really, to me. Yeah, it but it not, has it, the look of it and it has, mm-hmm. like, it has the look. The template, it's just, it's just a whole new, colder, like mm-hmm. more despairing view of the same kind mm-hmm. of relationship dynamic. Which, yeah, if you're going to adapt something like, Change put it up. Your, yeah, put your own spin on it. Totally so, respect him for doing that. Um, on a lighter note, yes. Um, there is a really cool picture in that bar that they meet at where it's a plus size <gasps> pan. Yes, and like a chick, and I'm like, yeah, this is I cool. love that picture, and it's like sepia tone. So I thought yeah. that was fun. Oh yeah, that's good. Just to throw that out there. Also, my favorite image print. from the whole film <laughs> is in that bar. The yeah. uh, bartender who's like kind of um, Ali's like occasional couscous sex partner. Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she makes some couscous and. All the implications that um, sounds yeah, like it makes. Absolutely. Seems, um, <laughs> I liked her. 
My favorite yeah, part is when they too. get married, so she has to celebrate their marriage, like, socially, but she's also really sad because her, like, side piece is, like, leaving her. Right. Um, she sadly pops the cork on a champagne bottle. <laughs> I've never seen, like, the saddest, like, saddest, opening of a champagne like... before in my life. That felt new to me. I don't yeah. know. There yeah, were, there were a lot of nice little gems in yeah. this film like that. <laughs> so, my pick is the newest film on the list. It's from the year 2000. And it's kind of not a surprise that, like, the most recent film on the list is a 1960s period piece. Like, a lot of these movies we've been talking about, like, 60s and 70s, like, art house stuff. And this is, like, calling back to that time, even though it's from the early 2000s. When was I supposed to catch on to that? I caught on when there was a scene, like, this new rice cooker. And I'm like, um, rice cookers have been a thing, y'all. I think the fashion <laughs> is pretty, like, explicitly okay, of the time. Well, I didn't, no, I, didn't, I just thought they were fancy. And then at the rice cooker, I was like, wait. And then I looked back and I was like, okay, this is not modern times. <laughs> and I think there is a lot of political stuff between like Shanghai yes, and Hong Kong is. that maybe I don't even understand fully. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, I don't understand a lot. <laughs> but at the center of it is a relationship mm-hmm. that I think is universal. Mm-hmm. It's called In the Mood for Love. It's directed by Wong Kar Wai. And the reason I picked it is because it comes up pretty often now, I think, mm-hmm. is, like, one of the greatest films of all time. Have you ever heard Barry Jenkins talk for, like, more than five minutes? I think he brings up this movie, like, immediately. <laughs> um, the guy directed Moonlight, and I think it informs a lot of his movies in that way. It's got that same kind of Serkian melodrama as mm-hmm. Ali Fear Eats the Soul, but it's a little more genuine. Like, the visuals and, like, the emotions of it are very lush and, like, overflowing, but the two characters at the center of it are very, like, stifled and trying to maintain this, like, solid exterior and not show their emotions. And that's, I think, a lot of the tension in the movie. It's like, there's a lot of big emotions and a lot of, like, controlled social face. Mm-hmm. Like, they're giving, like, solid... <laughs> giving you good I'm not social face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of drag race lately. I can't <laughs> help it. That's the face they're serving yeah, here. <laughs> for sure. The central story is this... Two couples move in on the exact same day in this apartment complex, and immediately their lives are intertwined because they're moving at the same time, so, like, their furniture keeps getting moved into the wrong apartment, and mm-hmm. they have to keep, like, they're like, oh, actually, no, that goes over there. Immediately their lives are kind of muddled and sort of together. Mm-hmm. These two characters that we know start to suspect that their husband and wife, respectively, are cheating with each other. They're both being cheated on and they're being cheated on by each other's spouses in this sort of like crisscross pattern. We never see the spouses. It's almost like Muppet babies. Like we see their like <laughs> their bodies and their mm-hmm. feet and their, we hear their voices, but we never see their faces. Right. And what we have is these two people are trying to maintain this like social cool and this like grace and this poise while they're like basically fucking miserable because their marriages are falling apart. They won't even admit to each other they both know that an affair is happening until they both can know for sure that everyone already knows about Mm -hmm. it. Like, they won't even give that vulnerability up. What we see is them slowly starting to form a new relationship, both because they've been spurned in the same way by each other's spouses. And they start to form this relationship that's even more intimate and kinkier, I would say, than what you suspect their spouses are up to. You think that maybe the man and the woman have this sort of like just sort of torrid affair, but what they're doing is acting out this role play scenario. <laughs> We're like, how did this happen? How did it mm-hmm. get to this point? I'll pretend to be your husband. You pretend to be my wife, and we'll like see how this escalated and try to predict who made the first move or who said we should do this next. 
and it becomes this like really layered artifice where they're like hiding their emotions in this like role play scenarios that feels like very erotic and emotional in a yes. way that we don't see them express genuinely through their like you know everyday outer presentations mm-hmm. they're very concerned with these old-fashioned values while the world's around them is modernizing. There's people who are gambling addicts, people who are having open affairs and not really caring about what other people think. But these two people are very like stoic and want to maintain this like old fashioned values as the world is modernizing rapidly. What is impressive about this movie to me is the fact that it came out in the year 2000 and it is so beautiful and lush and feels modern. Mm -hmm. My one sticking point with it is this hideous, uh, stop motion frame rate it uses sometimes yeah. like it's very mm-hmm. choppy i love that fuck that it is so bad <laughs> i thought it was fun and then the music plays while it happens the music's very lush and beautiful mm-hmm. orchestra as like that, you've got the yeah i enjoyed that stuff that was actually my sticking point was actually the score mm. the it's fact re- that it uses very the repetitive same song <laughs> I think probably 50 times throughout the entire film, the exact same like 10 second snippet. I um, think it fits the rhythms of the narrative, which is based on routine. Like we watch this woman wear the same versions of the same dress over and over again and go to get instant rice downstairs at the the same market over and over again. And they're stuck in these patterns and can't break out of it. The song, I think, fits the, like, sort of circular, cyclical pattern of their lives. That at least makes sense to me. The choppy frame rate was like, oh, yeah, this is the year 2000. This is when, like, Swordfish and, like, Gone in 60 Seconds and, like, the worst (laughs) era. I mean, it felt (laughs) a little, like, film school. The reason I am cringy about, like, why I was into corn around that era. Like, I think this is the worst era for aesthetics and, like, art. This is like the worst pop culture era is the 90s and 2000 cusp. So for a movie to be this beautiful and only have one editing effect that I don't like is actually like an impressive feat. Mm-hmm. It really does feel modern. It feels like mm-hmm. Moonlight or like The, uh, and it has the like Farewell or something like that. It has very romantic color hues too. Oh like God. everything's very shadowy and like yeah. red and green and bright blue. Lush. Yeah. Like, and the way that their relationship is sort of removed where they're like pretending to be each other's spouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The shots of them interacting are also removed. It's filmed through these like prisms and these, through these veils. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot right. of like beautiful just right. smoke. Like it's like, very voyeuristic. Yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. Times where like I love that scene where there's like this giant clock in your face. and You just kind of see him from like behind. It, or It was so beautiful to just see like cool. a film that is truly erotic Mm -hmm. and not sexual. It was never about the sex in this movie. It's always about like the little touches. You know what I mean? Or the little glances. And that's like eroticism. It's not like the sex. Like (laughs) that was very refreshing to like feel like a truly erotic picture. The the male ordering was very erotic, I think, where it's like, I think he would order One food, too, like the act of eating. That's what I'm saying about kinky. Like, there's, like, this sort of, like, role play. like non-sexual kink. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it is sexual, but they're expressing their sexuality in these, like, non-sexual ways. Because, like, deep down they know it's not gonna happen. Whereas just, like, this doomed, like, we could kind of make it happen. It won't work. We're just gonna, like, do what we can at well, this point. Like have like fun we're in with it. conservative, like China, like socially conservative China. Like they have kind of like embodied what the culture has said. Like, but their spouses have like sort of like 
thrown the, that caution to the wind and right, doing but, what they want to do. Right, right, but they're like being more like conservative about that it. That the spouses were really having an affair? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. In, in most movies, the cheating spouses are kind of given all the spotlight. Yeah. You know, in this movie, it's like we don't even show them. Mm-hmm. We don't even want to know what they look like. They're not important. That's not the love story going on here. I love this movie because I love like erotic movies and it kind of reminded me of like the handmaiden mm. in the first maybe the first two thirds of that movie those touches and and the glances and it's like everything else is so repressed that this like there's even more emotion spilling out of those tiny little breaks um and i love the like the synchronicity of their relationship it's like in the beginning they're on the same circle but they're kind of missing each other like they keep passing each other in the noodle hallway the first time they're going there at the same time i think that's when they realize or they discuss with each other that their spouses are cheating um and uh, james and i both noticed you know they keep going to images of clocks so there's it's like there's this frame of time where a connection is possible and they sync up and they're waiting and they're waiting and they don't do anything. It's just the looks and the touches and the glances and the role playing and the imagining. And then it's like their time passes and that's it. And it's on two different trajectories. And I just like that kind of tragedy is so beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of like Ali fear it's the soul. Like if she had not gone into that specific bar on that specific mm-hmm. night at that exact time that relationship never would have happened yeah Mm -hmm. and these people are like just slightly out of sync and like just Mm -hmm. slightly under the wrong circumstances yeah can we also just talk about how fucking beautiful the fashion is in this movie Ah, her dresses dresses those like high neck dresses with the slits she's this very stiff collar yeah she has a beautiful like face like her whole neck and body is just like amazing yeah and just like yeah the most like elegant arms and legs and she has this one dress that's like it's like an iridescent green and pink Oh my god. It's a good one. It's like a two tone fabric. Like yeah. a, uh, I could not yeah. handle yeah, exactly. the amount of hair gel in these like <laughs> mints. It was like <laughs> so bad where I'm like, was it raining outside? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. there's just tons of gel. I bought yeah. a uh, can of pomade in 2010 for a wedding. And I've had it since then for now. I feel like people used to go through this regularly. Like, right. Monthly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like the those, slightest like dab of it. I kept thinking of those giant tubs of Depp hair gel. Yeah. That, I mean, I would just like shake it at Walmart to have fun with <laughs> it when I was younger. But like just scoops of it just sloshed all over his face yeah. and his hair. It's hard to tell just because their emotions are very like centered. They're composed. But I feel like he is reaching out more... Yes. Mm-hmm. Flagrantly. And she is like almost meeting him there, but can't allow herself to yeah. do that. Right. And there's a gender dynamic there where like he has more freedom to like mm-hmm. sort of put himself out there. And that True. when True. they do the role play and he's like, he's playing her husband, he's the one that makes the first move for that kind of thing. So I, I think that's there. And I think her costuming sort of the way she's almost trapped in these beautiful clothes. Mm-hmm. Like she is so rigid and so like beautifully yes. sculpted. Like she doesn't have a lot of room to like reach out. Mm-hmm. And the movie does a lot of like subtle sto- storytelling and how they're like visually poised, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also talking about the visual storytelling, I think the way that the camera moves, I notice a lot of time, like the way it frames them, sometimes it'll frame them together, but a lot of times the camera will be, you know, completely off 
of a character and then move and like put one character in focus and then put another character and it's kind of highlighting like they're separate but not mm-hmm. on the same page yeah. and like that sort of visual storytelling like this movie does it's like a master class of like true like filmic storytelling yeah mm-hmm. like how you frame characters and their relation to one another like you could do a whole like essay on this mm-hmm. the way this movie t- tells the story through its choice of sh- uh, shots too mm-hmm. and I feel like people are still picking it apart like it feels like it's informing modern filmmaking it's not my favorite movie we talked about today I just think it's the one that's informing the way people make movies now yeah. more so than any other movie True. maybe because it's more recent I don't know mm-hmm. but like yeah. there's just something about like the emotion and like it's bringing the Douglas Sirk lushness to like a new modernism feel than that even like the Todd Haynes version of like Carol and Far From Heaven like this feels like more fresh and crisp Mm -hmm. but it feels more experimental it's not as like calculated in its shots it's like like you said there's shots through like fabrics and fabric and opaque mirrors and shots where you can't even really see what's going on and the lighting is just harsh like when it comes in it's like beautiful but it's coming in from like this very like pronounced artificial sources like colored gel yeah gel lights speaking of like how it's experimental and everything like the ending turns into this like national geographic it's almost like a buddhist kind of like it's just the way it's filmed though it's just sort of like the style is completely different Yeah, yeah it's very panoramic and like when they're in like Angkor Wat and mm-hmm. yeah, that part was so awesome. Oh. Like it was like the movie exploded. And that's where I feel like I'm out of my league culturally. Like, yeah. and when you get into like the Shanghai and the Hong Kong and these like temples and everything. Like, I d- how far away are they from each other? Well, it's not that even only that. It's like, I don't feel like I fully grasped the concept yeah. True. in the context. Like what does that mean? Like what the importance yeah. of in it relation is? to the rest of the well, same. I have I, no idea. A movie I was thinking about during that part was La Moustache, which we talked about, where he, ah. he goes on this journey to somewhere else, and it's like, at the end of this movie, it's like a journey to, you know, he talks about how you put your secrets mm-hmm. in. Yeah, yeah a little level. whisper into the tree. So you go on this, like, pilgrimage to, like... To get yourself back in sync with the universe. Like, right, the to, ultimate like... Yeah, the ultimate pilgrimage. Yeah, the ultimate pilgrimage to, like, put right. your, <laughs> like, secret a into a tree, them. and once it's in there, you cover it up with mm-hmm. mud. Yeah. And it's, like, on. locked away forever. And that felt like a perfect ending. It was so... It was such a beautiful ending. Like, it was so nice. It's like, yeah, yeah w- us as viewers, we know what their secret is. They love each other on a deep level but they can never say it the and the secret is locked too. forever like having it in daylight and having it so open too kind of showed you and... right you don't feel as confined and constricted yeah. mm-hmm. where he's kind of like oh like i kind of felt at peace even though it was a right. sad yeah. ending where yeah, it's like definitely. yeah you're never gonna be together that sucks but i don't know it kind of felt like oh they're probably chill with it yeah they're gonna be okay it also, <laughs> re- that ending reminded me of The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Oh, I, love little, that movie. I love yeah, that movie. That is a fa- but I remember I saw that movie when I was like, I think it was like 14, and I was expecting them to get together in the end, and they didn't. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And my Fuck mom you. was like, no, French, <laughs> yeah. like French movies do that sometimes. Right. Like in American cinema, most of the time, like the people get together in the end, and if they don't, it's a tragedy and this is a tragedy but it's also and like very resolutely there's this you know the text is this is the end of the era nothing exists from that time it's like over 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 
But the end is like the most probably cathartic, like actually cathartic scene of the movie. So there is, yeah, hope. It might be a devoid of context thing where like I didn't connect with that ending as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Like I was so in it for that tension and that like erotic expression that's like very controlled Mm -hmm. and tight and like it feels like it's about to pop at any second. Like I was so on board for all of that. And the ending is this like solitary pilgrimage for the male character. Right. And we don't get that for the woman. Yeah. Where she just sort of remains this mystery. We don't really know what's going on yeah, with her she, as much. like, has a son. Is that her in the end? That's her yeah, in the end, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So no, she, she has, has a, a kid. And I wish she had a similar moment, yeah. I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, Fair I enough. agree with yeah. that. And also, I just want to point out, like, this is a movie that's very artistic and, like, very, like, symbolic. Like, it's, like, look into these, like, small moments and, like, the way mm-hmm. things are framed to, like, get what it's saying. But it also, I think, has the funniest gag out of any movie we watched today, which is when the woman visits the man during a game of Mahjong mm-hmm. and can't sneak out of the apartment because she'll be seen. They're in his bedroom and they don't want to be caught through any impropriety. Not that their spouses who are cheating on them with each other would care about that, but they care. So they don't want to be seen like canoodling with each other in his bedroom. So she has to wait till the game of Mahjong is over. And it lasts like 28, 32 (laughs) hours or some shit. And she's just sort of stuck in there like a prisoner. And the way that goes on and on and on is like darkly funny to me. Yeah. Well, and I thought it's like she didn't want to be seen leaving his room. Mm-hmm. So they were trapped in the room together and they totally could have canoodled. In it's not privacy. what they were up to. Yeah. yeah. No, they were just sitting there eating like he went went and got food. They were eating noodles together. I love that noodle container. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And they I almost had like a more into something more intimate than yeah. sex with each other. Mm-hmm. And and like the way she like wears his wife's heels home and they don't fit her feet. Yeah. And right. Hurt. Like there's just a lot going on in that exchange. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's tragic as as much as anything else in the movie, but it's also yeah. really funny and like yeah. this like being held hostage by this drunken game of mahjong that will not end. <laughs> like I found that very amusing. Right. She's like, "Oh, we're going to play 8 rounds of mahjong and then like, no, they're not going to stop at 8. Are you kidding?" <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask in a general sense. Brittany's already spilled the beans. Someone ask her first. Oh, what was your favorite sorry. movie we watched today for you? I like Ali The Hardy's Soul the most. I would probably watch it again. Probably will watch it again. And yeah, I would, that's one I would recommend the most to anyone. I think I would have to say Al Hazard, Balthazar, because I loved all of the other movies, but that was the one that like kind of gave me, not like a transcendent experience, but it, it just, I'm totally enamored with any movie that can give me a really authentic emotional experiences that experience that I'm not expecting and that isn't like pulled out of me. And I thought it was beautiful. I love donkeys, and that donkey was a great donkey. So. <laughs> it's a beautiful donkey. Uh, for me, it would be probably a tie between Ali Fury's soul and uh, in the mood for love. It's hard to pick one over the other because I do feel like they were getting at kind of the same thing and yeah. like in different ways, you know. But it's interesting that those two are like building on the same topic. But, you know, they're playful with it and, like, kind of subvert it in different ways. So, yeah, I, I can't really decide, but it would probably be a tie between those two. And my favorite was Al-Hazard, Balthazar, <laughs> as well. Donkey. <laughs> Even just, like, the opening credits where there's this mm-hmm. kind of, like, stoic, like, piano music playing where yeah. you're like, oh, you're about to watch an art right. film. And then it cuts out and there's this braying <laughs> jackass, like, yes. eh, eh, mm-hmm. over the credits. Like, what am I about to watch? Like, yeah. Is this a comedy? Is I, I had no expectations really, 
And just the way it unfolds to be this like epic tale of this saintly figure mm-hmm. who gets beaten and thrown on the ground and like remains the same as ever through it all. Yep. Like that really just like, really touched me and I cried and I don't yeah. know. It's the only one that made me cry. I guess that's why I'm saying it's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Well, we'll come back with episode 101. No one's here to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to, you know, spread the love, tell somebody you know that Swamp Flicks exists, we'd like that free promotion work from you. Yeah. <laughs> because we can't afford the paid con. <laughs> And our next episode is going to be the best films of the 2010s. We're just keep coming at you with these like giant topics. Best of the best. Surely we'll slow down and come up with something a little more like precise and small at some point, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. We're about to burn out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see you on a couple weeks. Swampflix.com, the Swampflix podcast. Tell a friend. Review us on the internet. You know all that stuff. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.